The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift up the Lord. We gather upon this Lord's Day in the spirit of the prophet Micah ben Imla, who wrote in the sixth chapter and the eighth verse, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered community here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across the states of New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us on Sunday. Especially this Sunday, we welcome Boston University alumni in their weekend of celebration. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Our prayers of confession are part personal and part collective. Today in collective confession, we remember the sentences of Franklin Littell, the first dean of Marsh Chapel and one of the founders of Holocaust studies in this country, who wrote in his book, The Crucifixion of the Jews, quote, Nazism was in no sense a revolt against religion and spirituality, Neither was it secularist, quite the contrary. In its central creed, the party affirmed a devotion to positives Christentum. The Fuhrer and other party orators made constant reference to divine providence, spiritual renewal, moment of decision, immortal destiny, and the like. Many of the party hymns were simply new words written to popular gospel songs with the same brass bands marching and evoking from crowds the same emotional response. The key question, and here the issue of heresy arises, is why the millions of baptized and confirmed Christians had no sense that they were now responding to visions and programs antithetical to the biblical faith. Together, in a moment of quiet, let us lift our collective prayers of confession. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove that sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than the other, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 114 with the antiphon. out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language. Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel God's dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why is it, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains that you skip like rams? O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. He turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a stream. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but, I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions, in payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. Today we remember Elie Wiesel under the aspects of hospitality and memory and kindness. In the spring of 1976, under much internal struggle, finally a decision was taken. I chose to study for a year in a school of theology, partly under the impress of a friend's word. A year in seminary never hurt anyone. So, the requisite visits to not just Yale and Union, but Harvard, Boston, Yale, and Union. And in that season, there was no question which place was the proper one. And in September, off I went to the Union Theological Seminary in the city of New York, 120th Street and Broadway. What a world opened there, and how grateful I am. A world, an urban world, a world, an ecumenical world, a world, a philosophical and historical world, a world, a biblical world, a world of the gospel and its preachment to the very ends of the earth. It is embarrassing, though, to recall and so to admit just how little I knew about the Bible in that month. Now, for all of the months and years in Methodist parsonages, the work at Methodist church camps, a parchment freshly printed from a small Methodist college, Ohio Wesleyan, a small Methodist college for small Methodists. I knew very little about the Bible. In a word, how much? Nada. And into that mental vacuum, that empty mind, there rode the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Samuel, Terry, and George Landis, Raymond Brown and J. Lewis Martin, and they furnished the empty racks in the mind with, well, books and books, and more so, a lifelong, lasting, intense love for the strange world of the Bible. Homo unius libri, said Mr. Wesley, yes. There were others present, too, Cornell West and James Washington and James Forbes and Beverly Harrison and Linda Clark, who later came here, and Horace Allen, who later came here, and the legend, not to say the ghosts, of Reinhold Niebuhr, who had died just five years earlier, and Abraham Heschel, who preached Niebuhr's eulogy at his funeral in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, 1971. By legend, they walked in the evening, Christian and Jew, Niebuhr and Heschel, around Grant's tomb and down the river bank, speaking to one another in love about love. It happened, as sometimes is the case, that in that season, that school of theology was going through a renaissance, if you will, and the president, Donald Shriver, had successfully invited one of the great prodigies of union, one of the family members of that school, to return from his beloved 
West Coast and Stanford professorship. This was Robert McAfee Brown and his wife, Sidney Thompson Brown. And they came just for three years, but since those were our three, it was an eternity. And they offered us his wisdom from the ecumenical revolution. He had been the Protestant observer at Vatican II, after all, 1962 to 1965. And he taught a course of that title. We struggled to enter and retain a seat therein. One January evening of 1979, Sidney and Robert, well before we fully knew who they were, invited some of us to a dinner party in the cold and snow of that winter. It was particularly pleasant and helpful as we too, Jan and I, were about to translate to move from New York to Ithaca due to health issues, there to take on ministry at Cornell, or as it was known, godless Cornell, that's not my phrase, students and faculty and staff all together. But in the weeks prior to that departure, Sidney and Robert, who had met and fallen in love in the Heath, Massachusetts summer home of Reinhold Niebuhr, enveloped us in hospitality. They had every reason specially to do so on that special evening with that circle. It may have been the members of that course and friends and spouses to present Brown's close friend, a very special guest whom Brown had met in his Stanford years some time before. And so it is that Jan and I broke bread with, shared the fellowship of, and mostly received the hospitality of Elie Wiesel. Professor Elie Wiesel, who at the time was teaching both in New York City and had taken positively the invitation to a university professorship here at Boston University, and over four decades, thrice every autumn, speaking to 1,000 gathered next door, interpreted the Bible, Scripture, interpreted the Talmud, causing a moral focus, an ethical, moral, spiritual, theological, and philosophical focus, a moral compass each and every year. He guided us through his hospitality to a sense of the lasting good. As Miguel de Unamuno put it, warmth, 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 we are dying of cold, not of darkness. It is not the night that kills, it is the frost. It is not the night of unknowing that kills, it is the frost of unloving. Enter in memory with Elie Wiesel, the gift of hospitality. We also remember memory with him now in the next decade, once the snow had melted and the children were born and we began to travel back and forth to Montreal to complete a, a PhD, and with that a dissertation. Some teaching opportunities arose, partly because 
the dissertation was slow in writing itself. Actually, dissertations don't write themselves. But with some good humor, one would say, we shall sell no wine before its time. And we waited and waited. And opportunities to teach in the North Country and small liberal arts colleges came along. And especially at Le Moyne College, a young Jesuit school in Syracuse, New York, a second spiritual home. Thanks to the gifted teachers there, all themselves, products of Vatican II. In those years, we taught New Testament and introduction to religion, and especially made use of materials, films from the Montreal Film Library and elsewhere, ancient technology, these. One was about on ritual the life of a woman named Carol, who was one of the first, if not the first, women to study for and become a part of the rabbinical leadership of conservative Judaism after her study at Jewish Theological Seminary. Her teacher there was pictured and quoted memorably as saying, the central Jewish vision is a vision of the whole world made holy from its deepest to its highest. This was Professor Gilman, whose daughter Abigail is now a colleague of ours here at Boston University. And of course, we received the teaching influence through his books of Elie Wiesel. You can't capture the personal quality of teaching through books, though. And it is that personal engagement, that memory, that capacity for memory that we cherish here most of all. My friend Bryant, a native uh, Norwegian, remembered happily finding a seat in Bissell's course. And he was so quiet that Bissell began to reach out to him a little bit to warm his heart, to bring him into conversation. My son tells me that when I'm about to offer an anecdote that I think is humorous, I should tell the congregation that this is an anecdote that I think is humorous, <laughs> whether or not it so is or you so hear it. And Wiesel took Bryant aside, a Norwegian, and said, Bryant, did you ever hear the one about the Norwegian? Bryant said, which one? He said, the one about the Norwegian who loved his wife so very much that he actually told her. He had a way to capture a capacity for engagement. But of course, for, through his books, and particularly his tome, his little book, Night, he brought a recollection, a memory, a searing memory of what had happened to him and to his family and others in Europe in the 1940s. You'll remember that that book is set against the engagement with and the collapse of the Decalogue. No other God, no graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor father and mother that thy days be long upon the earth. Thou shalt not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, or covet. And the crushing near conclusion at page 79 of the hanging, the death of the young man, the young boy, the camp paraded in front, and the lines 
seared into all memories, engaged in those students' work in those years. There was the, the voice behind me, Bissell wrote. Where is God now? And in my mind came the answer again. Where is God? There he is, hanging upon those gallows. Said we sell in repeated cadence, who hears a witness, he becomes a witness. If you hear a witness, you become a witness. And memory rises up. Yes, Proust was right. When real memory, a moment from the past, engages the present and interrupts the chronological flow from past to future, there is a mini-resurrection. We remember Elie Wiesel under the aspect of memory. So enter kindness alongside hospitality and memory. You will know from your own experience the the pain of loss, the grief that comes when particularly a friend or a loved one is taken and lost to death. It is like nothing else, and your mode of grieving, yours, his, hers, mine, is about the most particular, individual, idiosyncratic part of who you are. It's more particular to you than your skin pigmentation, your eye color, your height, your fingerprint, your gait. It is your own most self, and it's different for each one of us. For some light, for some heavy, for some silence, for some tears, for some long, for some short, could we not at least remember to watch for those who are grieving? This campus now a year plus following Bissell's death, is going through, it's a good time, a moment of labor, the labor of laws. When a friend or loved one, these are the people who give you back your own most self, is taken, you lose a part of your flesh, your very body. This perhaps is why our gospel lesson today is so poignant. It is a parable that needs no interpretation, really. It's Matthew's own. It's not out of Mark, and it's not out of the material that Matthew and Luke share. It's Matthew's own source. And 60 years on from the life and ministry of Jesus, it is as true to Jesus as with our limited vision we can see in his teaching and life. That is... Greatly you have been loved, greatly loved. Greatly you have been forgiven, greatly forgive. Greatly you have been shown mercy, so you too also must show mercy. There's a, a poignant sense of even a, a loss or a grieving in the way Matthew gives us this quintessential parable. We need to watch one another and watch over one another in loss. In the summer of 2010, following the June death of my father, many of you sent memorable, lasting condolences and kindnesses. How meaningful they are. Can we remember this for others? In that time of 
absence. No longer that face, no longer that voice, no longer that mind, no longer that laugh. In that summer, one of our choristers, who, among other things, had impeccable French and has moved with her family to Europe, but sang for and led for many years in our choir, worked here in the university. And I received from her one day a note which said simply, Dean Hill, Professor Vissell wanted you to see this. And his note in that hour simply read, Dear friend, my deepest sympathies. In our tradition, we have a saying, may you be spared any further loss. Ailey Vissell. We remember Vissell in the aspects of hospitality and of memory, but also of kindness. It was Abraham Heschel. Perhaps Niebuhr inspired him a little bit as they walked in the autumn evening in Riverside Park, who said, different are the languages of prayer, but the tears are all the same. May God bless us with a sense of God's presence, says the 139th Psalm, a favorite for Bissell and for us, did say, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou discernest my thoughts from afar. Thou searchest out my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou dost beset me behind and before, and layest thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and travel to the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, thy right hand shall lead me, thy hand shall guide me. If I say, let only the darkness cover me, and the light about me be as night, Even the darkness is not dark to thee. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with thee. Shall we together, not in heartfelt agreement, discipline ourselves moving forward to practice the arts of hospitality and memory and kindness? Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord.
God of light and love, we have heard your message, felt your presence, that in you there is no dark cloud at all. Nothing exists that can hide the light of your presence. Forgive us when we cling to the shadows, failing to heed your call to wake up and seek more life. Send us to do your deeds of mercy and peace, to feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, touch the sick with your healing balm, console the sorrowing, visit the prisoners, welcome the stranger, and spread peace, love, and happiness. Guide us in this time of shadows. Keep us from despair when we see that there is no peace in our cities and no security in our places of higher learning. Lift our eyes towards you that we may see, see your face shining on us and walk in your light, and that we, that we remember you are the source of our blessings. Comfort with your presence those who are living in the shadow of grief, shattered by the loss of children, parents, spouses, friends, and colleagues. Give assurance to all who are missing loved ones that the living and the dead are in your care, certain of being joined again in the unbroken circle that will sing your praise forever. May we remember that it is a miracle to be alive and well. May we seek to come alive this week and embrace the challenges of the year. May we remember that it's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us to trespasses, and lead to those who trespass against and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. We're delighted to be worshiping with you this morning, whether you're here in person or joining us via radio or the podcast. And a special welcome to all our returning alumni who are here for Boston University's Alumni Weekend. We'd love to keep in touch with you and help you to meet your neighbors, and there's two great ways to do that. The first is to fill out those red pads found at the center aisle of each pew and pass them along to your neighbor. 
And the second is to join us for coffee hour following the service for some refreshments and fellowship time. A few announcements this morning. First from MOVE. Um, we are assembling hygiene kits to support hurricane relief through the United Methodist Committee on Relief. There's an insert in your bulletin with a list of items that you can just add to your shopping list when you head out to get your groceries or other items this week. The value of those items is about $12, and we'd ask you to drop them off at the chapel office. It's a tangible and easy way to help out, and our undergrad movers are excited to pack and ship these kits. If you're looking for a place to donate money as well for hurricane relief, we encourage you to consider UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief. 100% of donations go straight to hurricane relief. The denomination covers overhead costs. We invite you in this season to join one of our small groups, whether that's the morning study group, take note, or the Bible study following worship. There's more information on all of those in the bulletin. And last but not least, I'm going to hand the mic over to Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, who has an announcement from the music department. Next week starts our annual Bach experience. It's the 11th year of the Bach experience. And I invite you to hear them as a unit, all four this year. We feature four cantatas that Bach wrote when he first moved to Leipzig uh, to take over the position as the cantor of the Thomas Church. And these four cantatas were written in his first two months on the job and they share um, uh, particular qualities that you will learn about if you come next week in the Bach Experience. We, all of the notes, accompanying materials are assembled and are being published this week. And if you want access to those before you hear it next week, send us a note at musicmar at bu.edu, and we'll be delighted to send those to you by email. Um, I want to make one introduction to my friend and colleague, Meg Weckworth. Meg, will you stand? If you don't know Meg, Meg is our music program administrator, and she would love to greet you in the narthex on your way out this afternoon. Meg is the person that can help you with all kinds of information about how you can participate uh, in the Bach experience in our concerts, how you can give to the Friends of Music at Marsh Chapel Fund, how you can inter interact and connect with alums and other members of our Friends of Music chapter. So please meet Meg and uh, allow her to get to know you um, in the coming weeks uh, at the end of the service. I also make one more introduction in our beautiful neo-Gothic nave. This person right here in the wood is Handel, George Friedrich Handel. And then Jen, that person right there, is Johann Sebastian Bach. So he's with us, and he will be with us next week. Come meet him and his friend Handel and meet us next week for Cantata 179. Thank you. For those of you joining on the radio, we'd invite you to join us next week at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, and we too can introduce you to the wooden carvings of uh, Handel and Bach. For all other upcoming events and announcements, please visit bu.edu chapel, where there's also the opportunity to support the ministry and music of Marsh Chapel through online giving. As the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offering, let us remember it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
of the universe, who grounds our being and fills existence with meaning. Use our charitable gifts for your purposes, that we may continue to live in the legacy of those before us, exemplifying respect for humanity with a global perspective. Through Christ, the one whose life exemplified respect for humanity and others. Amen. Aaronic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever. Amen.